work anymore. This is a societal problem. Nobody wants to come to OTAs. Nobody wants to make me my tacos after work. Why does nobody want to get better? This is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. Hope you had an excellent weekend. This weekend gave us lots of ammo for the show. Like last Wednesday and Thursday and Friday, I'm like, what are we going to talk about? Like I can't do one more minute on whether or not Aaron Rodgers is going to show up. The Brewers keep winning. There's no controversy there. They're just playing really good right now. What do you? Good job. Another win. Cool. Doesn't exactly get us till six o'clock. And the Bucks had a really impressive first round against the Heat, but we can only talk about how they beat the Heat so many times, especially doing it in only four games. So we needed another game. We got a game on Saturday. We finally have a Bucks game to talk about. Yeah, it was a loss, but a lot of interesting details came from Saturday's loss, and I'm really excited to talk about it. The Brewers are no longer just like winning. They're the hottest team in baseball right now. The Brewers are playing fantastic to the point where they were talking about them on Sports Center last night. I was about ready to go to bed, and then I don't remember Steve Levy and whoever he's doing it. Uh, good evening and welcome to Sports Center. Something brewing in Milwaukee, and I'm like, okay, I will stay up a little bit later to watch. <laughs> okay. Brewers have won 9 of 10. We can talk about that today. Uh, probably not going to do the Aaron Rodgers thing. We'll save that until tomorrow, the first day of mandatory minicamp or mandatory OTAs or whatever. whatever's mandatory that starts tomorrow. So we'll deal with that tomorrow. My name is Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. Plenty of ways for you to join and make your voice heard throughout the next two hours, like the talk and text line, for example. Send me a text. Give me a call. 608-796-2558. You can also tweet me at Wisco Grant. Uh, I don't know if you can tell. I, this weekend, I think my body discovered allergies for the first time. This is miserable. For my entire life, I have been that guy who's been like, huh, allergies? Never heard of her. Pollen? <laughs> it's never been a big deal. It's never affected me. And I woke up on Sunday. Oh, my God. Well, first, I was hungover, but I know what that feels like. The other half was, I just can't breathe out my nose. My eyes just want to close themselves. I don't have a cough. But I am just, oh, wait, can you, is it noticeable? Can you tell? I hope I don't sound squeaky, even if I do. We have a Bucks loss to talk about. We have Brewers to talk about. So even if my voice sounds shoddy, this is going to be a fantastic show, and I can't wait. Let's start with the big story of the day, and that is uh, the Badgers announcing they're going to play Notre Dame at Lambeau Field in, tw- in 20, 2026. Should we start with that? I know that our guy Zach Heilprin Mentioning that in sports updates, we should probably just get him on the show. With this Wisconsin Sports Zone Network yeah. update, I'm Zach Heilprin. So that's the biggest story, at least for the next 24 hours, and then we'll see whether Aaron Rodgers reports or not. No, let's talk about Bucks Nets game one, which was on Saturday night. Bucks lost 115-107, and if you watch the game, you know that there's a, a long, twisted story behind a final score that made it seem like, oh, the Bucks got beat by half a dozen points. Okay, sure, they probably... You know, you could assume that it was a relatively simple game. The Nets were at home. They hit shots. The Bucks didn't. The Nets had energy. The Bucks didn't. A lot of twists and turns in this game, and I, I want to dig into it. Yesterday's game was kind of like water skiing for the first time. That's what it made me think of. And I don't know if you've ever water skied before or you've been in the boat when someone water skis for the first time. Every once in a while, the person who's skiing for the first time, it gets lucky, and it goes way too well right off the bat. Right? Like pops right up and you look around you're like holy cow I'm doing it like that's what yesterday's game reminded me of because in the first quarter James Harden leaves after 
what, 40 seconds, 45 seconds, goes to the locker room and, okay, well, now it's no longer the big three. It's the big two. Giannis and Brooke getting to the rim. They're smashing everything. They're getting offensive rebounds. They're throwing up alley-oops. They're bodying smaller defenders. And at one point in the first quarter, the Bucks were up by nine. And I watched the game by myself, but I looked around my living room still and was like, okay, hey, we're doing it. Look at us. This game is playing out like we would have hoped. Bucks are bigger. They're stronger. Sure, nobody plans for James Harden to get hurt, but that's been the story with the Nets all year, right? We always bring that up. Like, KD's injury prone. Kyrie's injury prone. Harden hasn't been injury prone in the past, but that's become a thing this year. So the first quarter is like, hey, we're doing it. It's like, it's like getting lucky and popping up on water skis for the first time. Like, you open your eyes and you're still standing. You look around and you're like, hey, look at me. I'm, wa- I'm water skiing. Hell yeah, this is fun. Look at me. I, di- I did it. And then from the second quarter on, from the start of the second quarter on, the rotations get messy. Bud doesn't know what he's doing, how many minutes, who is playing, and who's playing together, and who's on the bench together. No one can hit shots. They look all out of sorts defensively. And this is what happens when you get up on water skis for the first time. Like, you get up, and that's great, but then you look around, and you're like, well, well now what do I do? <laughs> Why does my back hurt? And how do, I, how do I get off? Like, do I just fall over or let go of the rope? What, what comes next? That's what yesterday's game made me think of. And like water skiing... I think the point of this game one, this loss by the Bucks, is kind of hard to understand. Like if, you're, if you're trying to explain water skiing to someone, it's like, wait, so you you pop up on skis and then you just go side to side until you get tired and then you just fall over, let go of the rope? Yeah, that's pretty much the gist of it. It's hard to explain. Yesterday's game, or Saturday's game by the Bucks, hard to explain as well. In a concise way, at least. So, in Grant Bill style, in Wisco Sports Show style, I have a couple bullet points. I want to start with point number one, Naturally. And I hate to use this excuse because this is an excuse that I always poo-poo on when other people use it. Maybe it's not even an excuse. It's not an excuse. It's an explanation, right? The Bucs shot like dump. They shot really, really, really poorly. From three, from two, they just just didn't shoot the ball well. Very similar to game one against Miami when they hit five three-pointers. Well, yesterday they hit six. So I guess they did one better. They were six of 30, which is an even 20%. It's not like the Nets shot the light out. They shot 38%. That's not amazing, but it's much better than 20. Right? Bucks couldn't hit water if they fell out of a boat. Is that the expression? Very similar to game one against Miami. The problem is this time they're on the road. This time they're playing a much better team. Miami looking back, they just aren't very good. That's not a very good team. Brooklyn is a very good team, even without James Harden. And only compounding that three-point discrepancy, we're talking about making and missing three-point shots. We got to talk about all the other shots too. Chris Middleton couldn't hit anything. Drew Holiday couldn't hit anything, and they weren't taking bad looks. It's not like Chris Middleton was shooting all these falling away jumpers while triple teamed, and he's hitting the side of the backboard. No, he was taking a lot of classic Chris Middleton looks. They just weren't going. He finished 6-23, of 0 of 5 from 3. Drew Holiday, who doesn't shoot as much, typically not as much volume as Chris Middleton, 7 of 19, hitting 2 of 7 from 3. So give Drew Holiday credit. He did hit a third of the Bucks' three-point shots. Giannis hit another third. It's a very weird game, three-point shooting. But Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, team three-point numbers aside, they couldn't do anything. Not necessarily taking bad shots. They just weren't hitting shots that they're supposed to hit. Right? And meanwhile, on the other side, Blake Griffin's going off with a, with a, an above-average performance, right? Hitting seven of 13 shots, hitting four threes. Mike James had a great shooting night. Right? And then if you look at the bench, like, 
Bobby Portis gave you nothing. Bryn Forbes gave you nothing. Jeff Teague, not only did he give you nothing, he gave you, he took away somehow. He scored negative points for the Bucks, if that's not even possible. So the shooting discrepancy, both from three and from two and around the rim and from starters and from the bench, the shooting discrepancy was just, was massive. And that was probably going to doom the Bucks nine times out of ten anyways. They were probably going to lose this game on that reason alone. Shooting discrepancy, especially against the Hawks, especially as a road underdog. But the difference in shooting wasn't the end of the story, which is why I said I have multiple bullet points. This is a rather complicated game. The difference in shooting wasn't the end of the story. We got to talk about Coach Bud. And point number two is that Coach Bud had a very miserable, no good, very bad game, especially after the first quarter. The first quarter was okay, which typically for Coach Bud it is. You put your starters out there. You let them play most of the game. You don't have to do a whole lot. Maybe you bring in Bryn Forbes in a couple of minutes and, you sit Giannis down with a couple to go to get him a rest, and that's it. Like, the first quarter as a coach, assuming your starting lineup is set, and with P.J. Tucker it was, and P.J. Tucker played really well right off the bat, coach doesn't have to do a whole lot in the first quarter. But after those first 12 minutes, Coach Bud, uh, not good, not good. For example, everything that went well in the first quarter, patient offense, big bodies getting low and smashing and throwing bows in the paint and offensive rebounding and second-chance shot opportunities. All of that, all of those things that went so well in the first quarter completely went in the tank in the second quarter for a multitude of reasons. Coach Bud can't be blamed for them all. But in the second quarter, they stopped smashing. They stopped playing physical. They stopped going to the rack, mostly because Giannis and Brooke, their big smashers, their big bodies, barely played. Giannis played eight minutes in the second quarter. And Brooke Lopez played four. And if that doesn't mean anything to you, here's some reference. Jeff Teague played three and a half minutes, almost matching Brooke Lopez, who might be the most important player who's not Giannis in the series. Giannis is always going to be the most important. And Pat Connaughton played four. It's like, well, wait. Why is the MVP only playing eight minutes in the second quarter, especially when the Nets are exposed? The Nets are there to be had. James Harden is hurt. They're, they're kind of out of sorts. This is your chance to catch him. And you send Giannis and Brooke to rot on the bench? So now you get Jeff Teague out there. You get Pat Connaughton out there and Bryn Forbes. And you start shooting a bunch of transition threes. And I'm not anti-transition three. But they shouldn't be taking transition threes in this game, in this matchup. Firstly, they only hit two of seven of their threes in the second quarter. They weren't going down. But secondly, you give yourself zero chance to get an offensive rebound. Right? The Bucks' advantage that was so obvious in the first quarter was getting down low, getting second-chance shot opportunities, letting Giannis and Brooke Lopez dominate smaller players in the paint to create extra offense. Well, if you're jacking transition threes before anybody else is down the floor, before any of your players have established themselves in their spots, well, you're doing Brooklyn a favor. You're forcing them to defend for one shot, and you're not forcing them to work for a rebound. And they just started jacking transition threes all over the place in the second quarter. I'm like, what am I watching? You're going away from everything that went so well in a really successful first quarter where the Bucks at one point were leading by nine points. They fell apart on defense. They started double-teaming Blake Griffin behind the three-point line, shades of Jason Kidd, who's like, well, we're a young team and I want to be aggressive. Okay, but Blake Griffin? We're sending Bryn Forbes and Pat Connaughton to blitz him on the perimeter? Why? Why Why? Why you do that? Why? Yeah. Second quarter was a mess. And I think you saw ramifications from that second quarter in the third where, give the Bucks credit, they did a decent job hanging on. And then really, the wheels just fell off in the fourth and you, it was just going to be Brooklyn's game. It was going to be their night. Bud has got to have a handle on that. And I'm not trying to kill Coach Bud today for reasons that we'll talk about kind of as the show goes along. I'm not going to yell and scream about how Coach Bud is an idiot. 
But he's got to get a handle on this because nobody, nobody understood what Coach Bud was doing rotation-wise, right? How he's organizing who's on the court, who's on the bench, how long do they stay on the bench? Do, do we want to make sure we, we need to have at least this player or this player on the court at all times? How are we pairing them? How are we staggering minutes? He just didn't seem to have a handle on it. And I'm only one set of eyes. I'm only one perspective. But when I go on Twitter and I see the smartest basketball people in the world, not Stephen A. Smith and Kendrick Perkins and Doug Gottlieb and Colin Cowherd, not radio hosts like me, but actual people who cover and, and focus and, and know the X's and O's of basketball. Zach Lowe, right? Dave DeFore, who's been on this program. I really like Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo. They're more of a talking head, but they cover this league from a personality standpoint as close as anybody. And everybody's like, bud, what are you doing? What, why is Jeff Teague playing almost five minutes in the second quarter? Why are you not staggering Giannis and Brooke Lopez? You need at least one of them on the floor at all times. Why are you shooting a bunch of transition threes? You're taking away one of your biggest advantages in this game. I saw no one on Twitter or no one writing or talking today being like, you know what, everybody, t- hey, take it easy on Coach Bud. He was trying to do this. Or take it easy on Coach Bud. You don't understand, but he's got a deeper meaning. No. Everyone's confused. Everyone's confused with Coach Bud. And it seems to me that he doesn't really have a handle or he didn't have a handle on what he wanted to do with his rotation. He started throwing bodies out there and then got frazzled and didn't know how to recover and get the train back on the tracks. Giannis only played 35 minutes. Okay, that's its own thing. That's been its own thing for the last few years. And that might just be the reality. He's not going to play 42, 43 minutes. And that I can accept. But the second quarter which was just a, a, a blatant misuse of this lineup, right? You're not playing Giannis. You're not playing Brooke. You got to have at least one of those guys out there. Jeff, hell, Jeff Teague played seven minutes in the fourth quarter. Seven minutes in the closing quarter of a second-round playoff game on the road. And Jeff Teague's running out there, shooting transition threes himself, while Giannis and Brooke Lopez both have great positioning. What, what am I watching? Some of the decisions that Coach Bud made just kind of shows a lack of understanding of how this matchup's supposed to work with Brooklyn and how this roster works. Like, after the game, I I hear Coach Bud saying, well, you know, we have a deep team. We want to take advantage of that deep team. I'm like, well, you're really not that deep, though. Yeah, Bobby Portis, who's pretty good. He wasn't great last night, but I think two out of three or four out of five nights, I really like Bobby Portis. And you have Bryn Forbes, who can occasionally knock down a couple of shots. Other than that, this isn't a deep team. I don't want to see any more of Pat Connaughton than I have to. I I don't want to see any Jeff Teague. Now, some of it might be necessary just because Dante DiVincenzo is injured, but I don't want to see Thanasis. Like, this isn't a deep team. It's not as deep as it was last year or even the year before. In fact, that was an emphasis of John Horst. We want to get shallower. We want to get more top-heavy. We want to lean into our starting five. And Coach Bud's like, well, this is a deep team. We want to take advantage of that. No, it isn't a deep team, though. And that's okay. That's not to say that this is a bad roster or it was built incorrectly, but Coach Bud is thinking, hey, I got all these guys on the bench. I got to get them run. No, you you don't. You 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 absolutely do not. Like Pat Connaughton doesn't need to play any more than he needs to. Like if Giannis needs a two minute break, okay, get Pat Pat in there, and then when Giannis is ready to go, pull him back out right away. And I know Pat isn't going to spell Giannis. They're two different positions. I I understand. That's just the example that I chose to use. When the Bucks starters were out there, when Giannis, Brooke, Middleton, Drew Holiday, PJ Tucker were out there, they were really really good, but they weren't out there enough together. Now, I'm not going to complain that Giannis only played 35 minutes, although we'll talk more about that. Right? A lot of people are losing their minds today like that's a surprise. It's not. 
But some of those very specific things I mentioned in the second quarter and in the fourth quarter where I'm like, look, if you don't want to play your stars any more than you have to, okay, fine. I get wanting to keep them fresh. Might not agree, but I at least get where you're coming from. I, I don't I don't get some of these things. I can't put myself in Bud's shoes and think, well, I understand bringing Brooke and Giannis to the bench at the same time. No, I, I, I can't understand that. And I'm looking for a, not an adjustment, but a, a, a big, I'm trying to avoid using the word adjustment. Everybody uses adjustment. What should I say? I'm looking for a big uh, switch up tonight. Meaning, okay, I got to have these guys on the floor at the same time. I got to, I'm, I'm looking for Coach Bud to come in and, and have an idea. And he didn't at times seem to have an idea on Saturday. Let's take a break. We'll get back into the Bucks. I'm going to talk a lot about this, a lot about the Brewers. And I want to hear from you as well. At Wisco Grant on Twitter, 608-796-2558 on the talk and text line. More Bucks talk uh, after this on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. You know, it's funny. I asked our guest Bart Winkler last Friday. I'm like, am I a Coach Bud guy now? I really like what the Bucks have been about recently. He's like, nah, don't worry. He'll he'll come around. Leopard can't change his spots. And yeah, that's exactly what happened on Saturday. My name, Grant Bills. This is the Wisco Sports Show. I suppose we should have seen it coming. Opening up the rotation, giving Jeff Teague a bunch of minutes, because anytime you have a chance to play Jeff Teague and a huge playoff series. You you have to. I mean, what are you going to do, do? Keep on the bench? No, 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 no. Jeff Teague is a peacock. You got to let him fly. Got to get him out there and play Pat Connaughton in 20 minutes. Yeah, what a mess. Bucks losing to the Nets in game one, 115-107. We're talking about it. And you're welcome to join. Send me a text, 608-796-2558. can tweet at me, at Wisco Grant. For the Brewers crowd, We'll get to them coming up in about 15 minutes. No Packers today. I've decided we're just going to do that tomorrow. Like We'll deal with that tomorrow. Mandatory stuff starts tomorrow. OTAs, mini camp, training camp. I don't, I don't even know what it's called, but the mandatory thing starts tomorrow. Tomorrow's the day to watch or whatever. So we'll talk about that then and whatever it means for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. For the first 15 minutes of the show or so, we're talking about some of Coach Bud's um, misgivings, right? bigger picture stuff. And I was talking especially about the second quarter. There just seems to be a a lack of attention to detail. Sometimes that's the way it seems with Coach Bud. Sometimes it just seems like he's grabbing someone off the bench. Get in there. Get in there, kid. Go on. Like when Bo Ryan used to pull Sam Decker out for just the dumbest things. And it didn't even matter who was replacing Sam Decker. Bo would just grab someone by the Get in there. Get Sam on the bench. Like that's what it seems like. He's not angry, but that's the method with which he seems to just put reserves in the game. And I understand you can't play your starters the entire game. In fact, I like Giannis only playing 35 minutes doesn't shock me. Okay, I'm not actually that mad about that. I'm mad because I think Giannis's 35 minutes could have been better managed. And I think the time where he was on the bench could have been better managed. If you don't want to play your stars more than you have to, fine. But you need to be strategic about it. And sometimes strategy and Coach Bud, they just, they don't seem to see eye to eye. Brooke is amazing. Brooke is probably the most important buck in the series who's not Giannis. And Brooke's always amazing in game ones. He went off against Toronto. He went off against Miami in game one a couple of weeks ago. And it could have been the Brooke Lopez revenge game against Brooklyn. And he's an amazing matchup. Like, for all the reasons this should have been the Brooke Lopez game, Brooke Lopez only plays 28 minutes and a lot of times went to the bench with Giannis. No, you have to stagger those two. You need to have either Giannis or Brooke Lopez on the floor at all times. Have them both on the floor as much as possible because those are the big bodies 
that Brooklyn really isn't going to have an answer for. And I don't think Coach Bud really used those two to their fullest potential on Saturday. And there's small mistakes here and there. We talked about the second quarter a lot. Small mistakes that are made by a coach, especially early in the game, often compound as the game goes along, right? Once you make a mistake, it sometimes snowballs and it gets worse and it gets worse. And by the end of the game, it's completely out of control. And Dave Dufour yesterday, he's been a guest on the show, writes and podcasts for The Athletic, had a nice little thread, right? This is the first tweet going into the fourth quarter. He tweets this. Minutes played going into the fourth quarter. KD, 33. Kyrie, 34. Middleton, 28. Giannis, 27. Drew, 31. Brooke, 22. Let's see if Bud's gamble has paid off. Right, so that tweet, that analysis, was kind of presented with the impression that, okay, well, now's the time to unleash the boys. All right, let's turn them loose. Let's let's get after it. They're going to play the full fourth quarter, and they're going to go out and be fresher than Brooklyn's players are, and they're going to run away with this game in game one, and Coach Bud's going to be a genius. Or that, that, that was the point of discussion. I don't know if Dave was predicting that. I would be surprised. But that's the idea. And then he follows up with this tweet, which is something that I saved right away. He follows up with this tweet and says, they aren't winning the Giannis Brook minutes anymore. Brooklyn found their rhythm. So to start the game, Giannis and Brook Lopez just smashing the Bucks. Tremendous in the first quarter, getting extra offensive rebounds, creating extra opportunities on offense. Right, that matchup was playing out exactly as we had foreseen. Giannis and Brooke, they're going to just be these war hammers that are just going to get it done, and Brooklyn won't have an answer. And that's how it started, but then they both go to the bench. And they're not playing together a whole lot, and Brooke had only played 22 minutes going into the fourth quarter, which just, if you're not injured, that's that's just not enough. It's too little. It's not enough. And then Dave in the fourth quarter points out, okay, well, now they're not even winning the Giannis-Brooke minutes because Brooklyn had gotten into their rhythm. And that's what I've been talking about with shooters, the way the Bucs play shooters. Right? It's the same issue that the Bucs have had against teams like Miami, who present uh, uh, who's Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero. Right, They start the game by going under ball screens. You're going to go under a screen with Duncan Robinson or Tyler Hero. And then Duncan knocks in a couple. Is you're giving him space to shoot, knocks in a couple threes, and then Coach Bud says, okay, we'll adjust. We'll adjust now. Yes, now's our time to make an adjustment. We're going to go over those ball screens. We're not going to give him space. So then they start going over ball screens, and it doesn't matter because Duncan Robinson's already feeling himself. Tyler Hero's already feeling himself because you gave him three or four free cracks to get dialed in, to get sighted in. And now it doesn't matter what kind of adjustment you make. Uh, it doesn't matter how you backtrack. You've given the other team, in the instance of Brooklyn, or you've given the other shooters, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero, you've given the opposition a chance to get going, right? Which is why sometimes mid-game adjustments are overrated. Sometimes how you start the game is most important because if you start incorrectly. Well, by the time you adjust, it might not matter because Kyrie's feeling it. Katie's feeling it. Blake Griffin's feeling it. Mike James. I almost said Mike Scott. Mike James is feeling it. Right? And I think that's a point that Dave intentionally made or indirectly made by saying, well, now Giannis and Brooke aren't even getting it done in the fourth quarter because Brooklyn feels so confident. Brooklyn has found their rhythm. And now, even if you do the correct thing and you play the correct guys in the correct moments, well, now it's not going to matter because Brooklyn's already feeling it. You gave them a head start. And no matter how fast you run in the fourth quarter, the, the, the gap is too large. You're not going to be able to ca- catch up because of the damage that was done earlier in the game. Right? Same thing we've seen with Robinson and Hero. It's a point I've made, and I thought Dave was really wise to point that out going you know, towards the end of the game where it's like, well, now Giannis and Brooke, you can put them in there now, but now it's too late. Right, Coach Bud, after the game, I thought we'd hear from him from just a couple of seconds at least, talked about need for balance. We need a little bit better balance offensively. 
a little bit better spacing offensively, playing with each other a little bit better, you know, and, and do some of what we did in the first quarter. You know, there's a lot of good examples of whether it's getting to our spots, working the offensive glass. You know, we weren't able to sustain that for uh, for the whole game. So um, we got to try and do that in game two. Sustain that for the whole game. Well, that lineup was hardly out there for the rest of the game, right? If, you want, if you're chasing what happened in the first quarter, which was very good, the Bucks were up nine at one point, you got to keep that lineup out there. The lineup of Brooke and Giannis and Drew and Middleton and P.J. Tucker only played like 20-odd-some minutes together last night. How can you keep cohesion and how can you keep balance offensively if you're always pulling guys in and out? Sure, it's good to keep guys fresh, but then these guys sometimes don't have a chance to get into a rhythm. Giannis only played 35 minutes. Durant played 40. Durant only played like 30 games this year. He's injury prone. He he played five more minutes than Giannis. Embiid last night played 38 minutes with a torn meniscus in a loss. And he was still out there for almost 40 minutes. And look, We're about to take a break and talk about the Brewers, so I want to throw a disclaimer on all of this. We're talking about Coach Bud and things that he should have done better, hopefully things he can do better in game two. But the bottom line also is the the Bucs just didn't execute. Like, they they need to hit shots. Middleton had a lot of great looks. Very Chris Middleton, good shots good for him. Like, Chris Middleton shots that he normally hits, he didn't. Same with Drew Holiday. Bryn Forbes gave you nothing. Bobby Portis, by and large, gave you nothing. You hope that that trend switches, and you also hope that Blake Griffin cools off a little bit. And Mike James cools off a little bit. But, you know, after after playoff games, I hear people all the time. It's like, well, Blake Griffin isn't going to play that way again. Okay, sure, he might not, but he did. He did. It's, it's not like we take that win off the ledger two games later. It's like, well, Blake Griffin had an outlier performance in game one. Okay, he did, but he still had that performance in game one. That game still counts. So I don't like walking away from a game thinking, well, you're not going to shoot that poorly again. And that player is not going to shoot like that again. Well, maybe, maybe not. But it did. The Bucks also, despite shooting really, really poorly, had a couple of things they could have done better. It might not have mattered in the end. Brooklyn was really feeling it. But I don't want to drag Coach Bud endlessly today because the players just didn't play very well either. But that second quarter was bad. I think the fourth quarter was bad. And Bud has a couple of things he needs to get cinched up before tonight's game, game two in Brooklyn. Let's transition. I want to talk about the Brewers for a little bit. Because they're the hottest team in baseball. They've won 9 of 10, which is just wonderful. It's even more wonderful because we, as a community... Foresaw this. We predicted this two Mondays ago, and it has played out before our very eyes, and it's been gorgeous. Let's talk Brewers. Coming up next here on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. I did some uh, research, got some data. Three-point percentage, early in the shot clock, middle of the shot clock, late in the shot clock. Something that I mentioned, I think, in, in both the opening segment and just a couple of minutes ago. Bucks really shouldn't be shooting that many transition threes in this series. They shot a lot of them in that second quarter, and it frustrated me. Number one, because they couldn't make any. But number two, the Bucks have such an advantage on the offensive glass between Giannis and Lopez. If Dante was healthy, it would be even bigger. When you jack transition threes, you give that advantage away because the team's not ready to, to rebound or hunt that that shot, that second chance shot opportunity. I also hate the transition three for the Bucks, especially in this series, because they can't make them. From their five playoff games so far, here are the percentages. 24 seconds to 15 seconds left on the shot clock. The Bucks are shooting 24%. 15 to 7 seconds left, they're shooting 32. 
seven to zero seconds left. They're shooting 43%. So the Bucks are having most success with their three-point shooting as the clock really, really dwindles. Not to mention, you can't you can't get offensive rebounding going early on in the shot clock. Just for every reason, transition threes should be shot out the window, unless it's by Bryn Forbes. If it's Bryn Forbes and he's cooking, he can shoot whenever he wants. Other than that, they should really be they should be working these possessions down. I said we were done with the Bucks. I lied for a moment, just for a moment, because I found an interesting statistic over the commercial break. My name Grant Bills on Twitter at Wisco Grant. Talking text line 608-796-2558. Tomorrow is the start of a mandatory minicamp. Aaron Rodgers needs to report tomorrow or he'll get fined or whatever. I don't know. Matt LaFleur will say something mean in a press conference. So we're all on Aaron Rodgers' watch, which is exciting until I realize today that I don't care uh, at all. I realize today that I don't, I don't care if Aaron Rodgers shows up tomorrow. I'm not wasting time and mental energy on it. I'd rather talk about the Brewers, who are red hot. Red hot. They've won 9 of 10. We were hoping for a hot streak, and we got one. And Brett and LaCrosse made a bold prediction on Thursday. I believe he predicted a sweep over the weekend. Text in and says, Grant, my prediction was right on. Right you were, Brett, 100%. And thank you for the text, 608-796-2558. The Brewers are so hot that I, after Sunday Night Baseball last night, which, of course, I watched because I'm an American, was watching Sunday Night Baseball, great game, went to extras, then Sports Center starts up. At this point, I start reaching for the remote, and I'm like, all right, time to head up to bed. And what does Steve Levy say? Nothing other than the Milwaukee Brewers are red hot, which is why we will speak with Christian Yelich later on in the program. And I'm like, <laughs> open my recliner back up, grab another beer. I wasn't drinking another beer, but grab another figurative beer, tie one on. All right, I'll, I'll watch. Fine. You've kept me around. Because you're talking about the Brewers, and you should talk about the Brewers. They've won 9 of 10. And they are hot. And they have an energy about them. They have an aura about them right now. And they've been playing really, really well for the last 15 games or so. And I want to go all the way back to Keston here today when they called him up. By the way, they sent him back down today. Keston here really isn't the focus of this hot streak. But he's an interesting landmark in the way the timing has played out over the last two or three weeks. I want to go back to Keston here today. The day that they called him up, May 24th, which is a Monday. Was that two weeks ago exactly to today? I believe so. Yes, it was. Two weeks ago to the day was the day they called up Keston Hira, and then today they sent him down. So time is a flat circle. But I want to go back to the day they called him up. That was a turning point, or at least we addressed it as such on this show. We're like, hey, today is the day. David Stearns took a look around, looked at every bit of evidence on this team. Like, Yelich is healthy. Kane is healthy. Wong is healthy. Narvaez is healthy. At the same time, for really the first time all year. And since then, Kane has gone back on the aisle, as has Colton Wong. Great. But at the moment, all of those guys were healthy, really, for the first time at the same time. The starting pitching had been rolling. And outside of San Diego, a lot of beatable opponents on the schedule. And they split with San Diego anyway, so they took care of business in that series regardless. David Stearns looked at all of that. Beatable opponents, healthy offense, pitching is rolling. All right, let's call up Keston Hira, whether he's ready or not, and let's rip. Let's have a time. And see if we can't get on a heater. But all these players in the press conferences when they're losing games saying, oh, we just, things will turn around. Things will turn around. We're just in a rough stretch. It's how baseball works. Things will turn around. And I think David Stearns two weeks ago today said, well, I'm not going to wait for things to turn around. I'm going to call up Keston Hira. All these puzzle pieces seem to be in place. And let's go. Let's win us some games. And since that day, the Brewers have been 9-3. and three, Been winning a lot more than they lose. Now, that's a day that I have mentally bookmarked. And it's an interesting point of reference to go back to. That's kind of when the streak started. But I think we're a few days off, a few days late 
using that day as a, a fulcrum that, that kind of switched this season from bad to good. I think the turning point wasn't that Monday. It wasn't Keston Hira day. It was Friday before. It was Willie Adamas day. The day they traded for Willie Adamas right before the show started. And it was a very unpopular move. Mostly because we didn't know anything about Willie Adamas. Mostly because whether you admit it or not, most Brewers fans, you miss Orlando Arcia. I know I'm the one who will loudly and proudly say it, but I know you all agree with me, by and large. I know there's haters as well. But I think deep down, you all know that you miss Orlando Arcia. And you're like, well, nobody's been better than him since. So they bring in this guy we've never heard of from a team that we never watch, we don't care about. Of course we're going to hate on it. We lost Rasmussen and J.P. Fireeyes. Of course we're going to hate on it. And he has done nothing but hit the crap out of the ball ever since. Since he arrived in Milwaukee, the Brewers are 11-3. and And in 15 games as a Brewer, he has 14 hits, 3 home runs, 11 RBIs, and he's hitting 269. Grant, that's underwhelming. Well, compared to the rest of the Brewers' offense, he might as well be batting 600 because that's rock star level relative to the rest of this team. He's been a spark plug in every sense offensively, he's been flashy defensively, and just the energy that he seemingly brought. He walked in like he owned the damn team when he got here. And I was watching an interview he did on, I forgot what podcast it was, I'm sorry, but there's so many, we have too many podcasts. He was with Tyler Glass now and some other guy, and I'm sorry, I don't remember. They were just talking to him about getting to the Brewers, a team with veterans, a team with an established culture. They have their own thing going on. Willie Adamas gets to town. Was it easy to assimilate was it a comfortable process Willie Thomas is a loud guy and he's like no I got in there and I I wanted to be myself and they let me be myself and they smile and they enjoy it and I think that's been really good for this team he's been a spark plug on the field and off the field is cliche I hate that I just said that but it, it works I don't think this team needed a sea change I didn't think they need to ship out half the roster bring in all new guys they didn't need major changes just needed a tweak here and there the starting pitching might be better now than it was to start the year, which is unbelievable because at the beginning of the season, we're like, oh, Corbin Burns is a Cy Young. Okay, Brandon Woodruff is a Cy Young. Freddie Peralta is electric. And Adrian Hauser's hitting bombs. And Brad Anderson, for that, like, six days he was actually healthy to start the year, wasn't that exciting as well. Right? The starting pitching is maybe better right now than it has been at any point this year, including that first week where we were all floored by how good all these guys are. Brandon Woodruff didn't even have his best stuff on Saturday. He's laboring a little bit. And he still went six innings, allowed only two runs and had nine strikeouts. And he would have had the win had Brent Suter not, well, done some Brent Suter things, give up some home runs while throwing 88-mile-an-hour fastballs. Freddie Peralta last week took a no-hitter into the eighth. And I think Freddie Peralta has now started to become the best version of himself. And this is something we talked about weeks ago. It's been a while since we've discussed this. But I remember early on this season, it was a talking point from me all the time. Like, Freddie's got to be more efficient. He's got to streamline. He's got to cut back on the crap. He's got the best stuff in the world. He's just got to become a better pitcher. And he has done that. In his first four outings, David Gasper provided this at Reviewing the Brew, and he tweeted it out as well. This is brilliant. Freddie Peralta in his first four outings, 18 innings pitched, 12 walks, and on average, six walks per nine innings pitched. Since then, in seven outings, he's thrown 38 and two-thirds innings, 12 walks, same amount of walks, and the average... 2.8 walks per nine innings. That's efficiency. That's streamlining the way that he pitches, and it's allowing him to go deeper into games, and it's allowing him to, I think, pitch more freely and more relaxed because he doesn't have as many base runners on behind him, and he's just gassing dudes. He almost threw a no-no on Thursday or Friday or whenever the heck that was. And then Corbin Burns yesterday. I don't even even know what you say about Corbin Burns yesterday. Seven innings, 13 strikeouts. Shutout. Okay. 
Corbin Burns said after the game. This is the best I've felt all year. This was, was by far the best I've felt all year. You know, body, arm, everything, stuff-wise, stuff come out of the hand. There wasn't a point that we kind of we ever really felt uh, felt stuck today. I mean, Manny did, did a great job back there, and, you know, we knew they're, I mean, they're a good swinging team, so we knew we wanted to come out and get ahead early, and, uh, you know, we were able to do that for the most part today. Best he's felt all year? Okay. Well, that would match his performance because yesterday was the best he's looked all year. He also had an interesting comment about the way that Woodruff and Peralta and Burns himself, the way they all push each other and motivate each other to get better. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's a big part of it. You know, whenever you can have two of the other best pitchers in the league right now and, and Freddie and, and Woody to talk to those guys and, you know, bounce ideas off each other, whether it's mechanical, timing, tempo, that kind of stuff. You know, Woody's asked you some questions in recent weeks with some with some timing stuff, and I've, you know, I've kind of done the same thing, and, you know, we kind of learn off each other, and, you know, Freddie's always right there listening along and, and you know, taking what he can from it. They're all very different pitchers. Pitch with a very different style. Like, Brandon Woodruff is, I mean, the way that he stares down home plate before he throws, he just straight up, I've never seen a pitcher, like, I can see his butt. Typically, pitchers are standing to the side or there's some angle. He just stands straight up and looks at the catcher. Very straightforward. And Brandon Woodruff, he's just going to gas. He's going to throw 98, and he's going to speed the ball by you. Corbin Burns is kind of a surgeon. He's got a million different pitches. He can do all these different things with all of them, and, He's great. And then Freddie Peralta might be a combination of the two. Freddie's got the electric fastball, but he's also got a couple of other pitches that he's developed, and he just comes at you like a whirly dervish. Sound like I'm sound like I'm 85 years old. They're all very different, and I would think that they could take things away from each other and build off each other. I was planning to also talk about the offense, but it's just taken a little too long to get there, so let's do this. Let's take a break. I want to talk about how the offense is starting to feel more normal. I, I don't think the offense is amazing, it might not even be above average, but it might not need to be above average. But for the first time in a while, for the first time maybe all season, I watched the offense this weekend and thought, that feels like what MLB offense should feel like. A couple of examples. I'll share those with you. Maybe you agree. Maybe you don't. I also want to take a look at this wild division because the Cubs, the Cardinals, the Brewers, they're just doing this, this tipsy, turny, square dance at the top of the division. It's just round and round and round all the time. One team's hot, another team's cold. So let's kind of wrap up our baseball talk before getting back into the Bucks after this on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Last couple of minutes to chat about the Brewers. I do want to get back into the Bucks after 5 o'clock. Always, you're welcome to chime in. 608-796-2558. The talk and text line. You can tweet me and follow me at Wisco Grant as well. A little bit of a controversy earlier today on Twitter. Uh, I, I tweeted something out this morning just as an idea. A potential idea. Something that maybe we could talk about on the show. It was not met with excitement. Not at all. In fact, the opposite. Uh, so we have that subject pegged for 520. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you know what? I'm not going to tell you. That should keep you tuned in. That should keep you stuck here. I just threw it out this morning. Hey, folks, what do you think? We could talk about this at 520. People got angry. Okay, fine. So I changed gears a little bit. We'll have that conversation coming up at 520. It's related to the Bucks. We're going to do uh, an almost all Bucks second half of the show. Game one was on Saturday. They lost. Game two tonight in Brooklyn. I believe 6.30 tip. I could be wrong. Let me check. That's something I should really know. Let me make sure. I don't want to tell you the wrong time. Although you're smart, you can figure it out. I'm pretty sure 6 o'clock pregame, 6.30 tip, which means the game will actually start 
right before seven because Shaq and Chuck, they got to give away some award or something on the pregame show. Yeah, 6.30 first tip. Uh, so I almost said first tip. 6.30 tip, but it'll probably be like 6.45. I want to talk about the Brewers for a couple more minutes. We talked about the starting pitching and, and the way that the season has kind of turned over the last two weeks. Keston Day was two Mondays ago, two weeks ago to the day. They sent him back down today, two weeks after calling him up. You kind of viewed that as the turning point in the season. I, I think the turning point was the Friday before that day. The Willie Adamas trade, because since they've acquired him, they've done nothing but win. The pitching has been as good as it's been since probably the beginning of the year when they were darn near unstoppable. Brandon Woodruff didn't have his best stuff on Saturday. Still got through five innings. Still only gave up two runs, nine strikeouts. I mean, we heard the same thing with Freddie Peralta a couple of weeks ago. On days where even they don't have their best stuff, they manage to still give you a, a, a quality start. And I don't mean that in a literal sense. I mean, just they give you a good chance to win. Woodruff did on Saturday. Burns, obviously, yesterday. And Freddie Peralta was just otherworldly last Friday night. Start to get my days turned around over the weekend. The offense, to me, is beginning to feel normal. Not amazing. I don't think this offense is ever going to be amazing unless everyone's healthy at the right time and the universe really comes together. I guess if Yelich plays like an MVP, Wong and Narvaez keep playing good, and then that's matched up with the Jackie Bradley Jr. hot streak and an Avi Garcia hot streak, okay, well, sure, that's a, you know, you could win a playoff series or two if that were to happen. I mean, you, you could blow a team away if that were to happen, but that's not what this Brewers offense is. They're going to be average, maybe slightly below average. They don't need to be great. Slightly below average, this team could win a lot of games. This offense is beginning to feel more normal. And I think for stretches this season, we've just been our wit- at our wits end, right? Pitching has been so much better than offense, and it's been unlike anything we've ever seen. That's not limited to the Brewers. That's a lot of teams. But this weekend felt more normal. I have two examples. Saturday's game. Brewers are up 5-2 to two in the 7th. That was the Brandon Woodruff start. Feels like they got a comfortable cushion. Brent Suter comes in and quickly erases that comfortable cushion, gives up three runs, a couple of homers, and it's tied, 5-5. And in that moment, I remember clear as day. This is what I thought. I said, eh, that's a bummer for Woody because he's not going to be able to win today, but who cares? They'll score more. And they did. And isn't that amazing that I felt that way? I haven't thought that about the Brewers all year. When they give up a lead or a tie, I've never once thought in the season of 2021, I've never thought, ah, okay, they'll score more. They, they'll, they'll, still, they'll still win this. I haven't thought that once. If you get a 2 nothing lead, that's your chance. If you blow it, you're done because the Brewers can't score. And on Saturday, I thought, ah, they'll score a couple more runs. They'll be fine. Yelich had a homer. Narvaez had a homer. They end up winning by two runs, 7-5. to five. And then again yesterday, yesterday's game. It wasn't necessarily reflected in the scoring. I think the Brewers won two to nothing yesterday. Was that the final score? Brewers won two to nothing. Yeah, Corbin Burns was insane through seven innings. So the Brewers went two to nothing yesterday, and it's not reflected in the final score, but the offense felt normal because as Chad Smith, the Diamondback starter, as his outing progressed, the Brewers got better swings. They had more offensive success. Like, sure, the game started really slow, but sometimes that happens. But then the second time through the order, you get a couple of hits. The third time through the order, a little success. And at one point, they had runners on second and third with one or nobody out. Like, they had opportunities. They just didn't come through, which sometimes is good luck, sometimes bad luck. But when your pitching is really good, you can still win games. That's what they did yesterday. But the offense felt more normal. They got better and better swings, and seemingly they adapted the second and the third time through the order against a starter, which at times this year I haven't felt that way. 
At times, it's just like, well, you can't hit no matter how many times you see this pitcher. You can't hit no matter how late it is in the game, how many chances you get. You just can't hit. I didn't feel that way yesterday. They had success as the game rolled on. It wasn't reflected in the score. But I think if you watch yesterday's game, you probably feel the same way. Like, Adamas had some good at-bats. Urias had a deep double. Like They had some offensive success. It didn't translate into runs. But sometimes that happens. I felt like the offense felt more normal this weekend. And the Brewers have been winning because of at least a little offensive boost and the pitching is maintained. This division, folks, is nuts. The NL Central, probably something we're going to talk about to end the show in about an hour. I made a line graph today on a whiteboard that maps horizontally the ups and downs of the Cubs, the Cardinals, and the Brewers. The way they've been way above 500, and then they've been below, and then they've come back and up and down. Basically, the lead for this NL Central has just been a three-man weave drill between the Brewers, the Cardinals, and the Cubs. One minute, one team is on top, and then they take a dive. And on and on and on it goes, up and down, up and down. Three-man weave was always one of my favorite drills, too. Because you didn't really have to be great at handling the ball. You didn't really have to be great at shooting. You could just kind of run fast and pass the ball over the place. Somebody hits a layup, great. Like I, I always loved three-man weave. Like If I was in a gym with two buddies and we were just shooting around for fun, I would suggest, hey, you guys want to run some three-man weave? Come on, it's fun. Let's, let's, let's run, some, run some weave. And they'd probably be like, no, let's play 21. And then I'd get my... I'd get clapped because I'm a terrible basketball player. So I'll stick with my three-man weave. And I think the three-man weave drill is a good visualization for how this division has gone. If you look at it horizontally, these teams are moving left to right or right to left. You can use whatever axis you want. And one moment, they're up, and then they're down. And it's like a sine wave or a cosine wave or whatever it is. It's just a, it's just a wave, to quote John Mayer. One team's on top one moment, and then the next, they drop back down. It really has been a wild division. I want to talk more about that coming up later in the show. But right now, I want to get back into the Bucs. I'm sick of messing around. The Bucs need to win tonight. Uh, now, exactly how important that win is, that was very contentious on Twitter today. We'll talk about that at 520. More reaction from Game 1 and what Coach Bud and company need to change for Game 2 tonight. That's coming up next on the Wisco Sports Show. Stick around. <laughs> is where Wisconsin gathers to talk sports. Packers, Brewers, Badgers, Bucks. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Here's your host, Grant Bills. I know the Bucks lost on Saturday. I'm going to be honest. I, I'm just happy to have something interesting to talk about today. <laughs> it feels like as the week was wrapping up last week, it's like, God, what am I going to, we're going to talk about. No, Aaron Rodgers probably isn't going to show up there. That's the extent of that conversation. The Brewers keep winning. What are we supposed to say? And the Bucks, they went like what? A, an entire week without playing. I'm not, I'm not previewing the series with the Nets. Like I, I need the series to start before I feel confident about anything, any analysis or any breakdown. Last week was just a drag limping by the end of the week. I, today, it feels like we have rich, robust topics to dig into and to talk about. Content. Hashtag content. And content is king. Content is king in this in this business. You need content. The Bucks gave us some good content. The Brewers just... Brewers are the hottest team in baseball. They're giving us content. And the Packers, we'll see tomorrow. I don't, I don't really want to do the Packers thing today. 
mandatory mini camp or the mandatory thing starts tomorrow. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. I'm 99% sure Aaron Rodgers is not showing up. Um, anybody else have anything to say about that? I don't. Okay, so let's talk about the Bucks and the Brewers. It's the Wisco Sports Show. My name is Grant Bills, and I hope you had an excellent weekend. I said this to start the show back at 4 o'clock, but I will reiterate it for those who have maybe joined the show since then. I think my body discovered allergies this weekend. I've been someone for my whole life. Allergies have just never affected me. Pollen? <laughs> Couldn't be me. Right? They're like, allergies? Never heard of her. Like, it never bothered me. I've never had an impact at all. And I don't I don't know what it was this weekend. I woke up on Sunday just... My nose is... Uh, well, it's, just, it's not working. And my eyes are almost shut. So if you can tell that by the quality of my voice, I apologize. The content is so good that this show is just going to remain good, whether or not I sound like a, a slide whistle or not. Looks like we have some texts, one from Todd and Eau Claire. Todd, you have served at times as the fact checker of this program, and I appreciate you. Uh, see, as I scroll back through our messages here, it seemed like in early ju- June, you corrected me about the Celtics being down 3-1 and not 3-2. I appreciated that. Thank you very much. And today, you reminded me that Brandon Woodruff uh, pitched five innings on Saturday, not six. I think I mistakenly said six. Now, what we were talking about with Brandon Woodruff is that he didn't have his best stuff, and he still gave you a pretty good outing. I remembered six innings, two earned runs. Okay, it was five. I think the point still stands. It's not a quality start by definition because he only went five innings, but it was a a quality start. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll take that. If he didn't have his best stuff, he gave the Brewers a chance to win. I'll still take it. Even if it doesn't fall under a quality start, it's still a quality, still a quality start. Does that make sense? Todd, I appreciate you. Thank you for your text. You can tweet, follow me, interact during the show at Wisco Grant. PJ Tucker has just announced is going to start for the Bucks tonight again. Wow, what an interesting piece of breaking news that can launch us perfectly into the topic I want to discuss next, which is game one. Bucks Nets. The Bucks lost this game 115-107. PJ Tucker was the starter in that game as well. And I'm glad I've had two days to think about this game instead of just one extra time just to really stew and to ponder. In fact, this is such a sad story. I was driving to Coon Valley yesterday to do a little uh, fly fishing. Beautiful night. little cloud cover rolled in, so it was just a little bit cooler in the evening. Dry fly fishing was electric. No, I didn't catch anything, but that's not the point. That's not the point. Um, I was driving to Coon Valley, and I had such a good idea of something that I wanted to talk about with the Bucks or the Brewers that I pulled over my car. I've never done this before. I pulled over my car into a wayside, and before I could put the car in park and pull my phone out to write it down, I forgot about it. So, I, and the, the harder I thought, the, the more abstract it got. Like, I, I'm pretty sure it was about the Brewers, but then five minutes later, I'm like, well, also it could have been about the Bucks, and then it's, it's gone. It's gone into the ether. So hopefully at some point this week, it comes back. It was not through lack of effort. I pulled over my car because it was so, I thought it was that compelling of a discussion, uh, whatever it was. I hope it returns to my brain. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was the Brewers. It might have been about Bucks game one anyways. I think the more that I've thought about game one and spent time trying to hash this out mentally and most of it I've gotten written down, some of it I've forgotten, I'm sure. The more I think about it, Saturday's game was like water skiing for the first time. You ever gone water skiing? Now, you probably had a different experience than me. I'm pretty sure first time I skied, probably took four or five times for me to get up right now. If you've never water skied before, maybe you've been in the boat for somebody who's learning to water ski. It's, um, it's a frustrating experience. It's a lot of, it's a lot of starting with the boat and then turning around. Going fast and then turning around. Like, it's, it's exhausting. But every once in a while, you get lucky. 
and and the person pops up on the first time and it goes way too well right off the bat. That's what I think happened with this Bucks game on Saturday. This Bucks game reminded me of somebody who's learning to water ski and it all falls into place by sheer luck right off the bat. First quarter, James Harden leaves after like 40 seconds, which has been the ideal situation with the Nets. We're not cheering for injury, but what have we said all year? Well, Brooklyn's way better than the Bucks, but you know how Brooklyn is. Kevin Durant has an injury history. Kyrie Irving has an injury history, and maybe he'll just bug off and, and leave the team in the middle of the postseason. Who knows? James Harden doesn't have an injury history, but he's been bothered this year with injuries. So who knows? You meet the Mets, and, and one might get hurt. And that's exactly what happened. James Harden leaves 40 seconds in. Giannis and Brooke in that first quarter are smashing everyone and everything. They're grabbing every offensive rebound. They are exploiting the mismatches that we all were hoping they would exploit. Everything went so well in that first quarter that at one time the Bucs were leading by nine points. It went really, really well. Just like getting lucky and popping up on water skis for the first time despite not knowing what the hell's going on. <laughs> like, you pop up and you wipe the water off your eyes and like, hey, I'm, I'm doing it. I'm water skiing. Look, looking around the lake and you're looking up at the boat. Hi, look at me. Just out of sheer luck. It just worked out, right? And then... From the start of the second quarter on, after the first 12 minutes of this game, the wheels started to fall off. The rotations got really, really sloppy. The substitutions got sloppy. No one can hit a shot. Defensively, the team is all out of sorts, especially in that second quarter. And this is sometimes what happens when you get up on water skis for the first time. You get up, and you're so amped that it's going well that you look around and you think, okay, well, what do we do now? What's next? Why does my back hurts? Ow. And then like, how do I get off? Like, do I let go of the rope? Do I just tip over? What do I, what, what do I do? What am I supposed to do now? And I think that's what happened with the Bucks on Saturday. It accidentally started so well that I think Coach Bud and company just kind of looked around and they're like, hey, we're doing it. Look, we're up on the nets. And now we're not. And they didn't know what to do with themselves. And like water skiing, I think the story of game one is kind of hard to understand and explain. Like, if you ever under... Imagine an alien came to Earth and you had to explain water skiing to an alien. It's like, okay, so, you, so you're being pulled behind a boat with a handle. You get up on the water and then what? You do what? You just go side to side. You go back and forth. And then what? Is there some sort of goal? No, you just go back and forth. And then when you get tired, you just, you just fall over. Into the You fall into the water? Yep, just tip over. But you're going fast. Yep, you are. Just tip over. Like water skiing doesn't, it's kind of confusing. Game one is very confusing. It's hard to explain what went wrong in game one in a concise way. I think there's two big bullet points. Both contributed to the loss. I have mixed feelings about which one was a bigger factor and which one was, was secondary. Or maybe they're equal. I don't know. You probably feel differently than I do. I have two reasons the Bucks lost this game. Number one, I, I, I hate when people use this excuse. I think in this instance, in this game, it's not an excuse. It's an explanation. Right, Because in a one-game sample size, one team can shoot really, really bad. And the Bucks shot really, really bad. Similarly to the way they did in game one against the Miami Heat. Now, that was at home. That was in the first round against a team that wasn't nearly as good. But statistically very similar. They shot 5 of 31 from 3 in game one against Miami. And then on Saturday night, they shot 6 of 30 from 3 against Brooklyn. In Brooklyn. Those are almost identical nights. Two of the worst, nay, the two worst three-point shooting nights that this team has had all season, and both have come in game one of these first two playoff series. 
And it's not just the three-point shooting, right? The, the, the three-point shooting discrepancy was huge. I think the Nets shot, what did they shoot, 38%? Let me get it up here. Give it a second to load. That's what she said. Jeez. Only compounding the three-point discrepancy, which I will get to you exactly in a moment. I'll get you the exact numbers. Middleton didn't shoot well. Holiday didn't shoot well. Bobby Portis gave you nothing. Bryn Forbes gave you nothing. Even on shots that are good shots, Chris Middleton got a lot of Chris Middleton looks. Just didn't hit. Drew Holiday got a lot of Drew Holiday looks. Just didn't hit. So it wasn't just about the three-point shooting numbers. It was all of the shooting. Shooting, shooting, shooting. All of the shooting. The three-point shooting, yes. 38% for the Nets. I was right. 20% from the Bucks. That's an even six of 30. One of their worst nights all season. Right? The shooting was terrible. And that shooting discrepancy was further compounded by the fact that Blake Griffin has an amazing night, probably his best in a few years. And Mike James pitches in 12 points off the bench. So the Bucks shoot poorly and get nothing from their secondary, tertiary players. And then the Nets shoot pretty darn well and get big, unexpected contributions from their secondary and tertiary players. That mix, that that statistic, that happening was probably going to doom the Bucks nine times out of ten in this game anyways. If you shoot terribly and your role players play terribly and the Nets shoot really well and their role players play great, well, you're, pro- you're probably going to lose that game anyways. But the difference in shooting wasn't the end of the story. We would be remiss to just say, well, they shot bad. We'll get them in game two. That wasn't the end of the story. We got to talk about Coach Bud. Coach Bud uh, had a very miserable, no good, very bad game, especially after the first quarter. The first quarter was fine. You start your starters. Get Giannis, Brooke, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, P.J. Tucker. Go on. Go on, fellas. Get after it. And they did because that starting five is really good. It's a good starting five. So the first quarter was great. And, of course, he got a little help with James Harden leaving. Now, the Nets without James Harden are still really good, but I think there's an adjustment period where Steve Nash is trying to figure out what he wants to do with that extra spot and who's going to facilitate, who's guarding who, because everything gets thrown out of whack when one of the three best players on the floor is injured and all of a sudden leaves 40 seconds into the game. But the Bucs had a really good first quarter. All of these things went well. The Bucs were playing patient offense. They had their big bodies smashing in the paint like Giannis and Brooke Lopez, bodies that... The Nets don't have answers for. And we knew that coming in. Giannis was going to eat. And this was going to be a big series for Brooke Lopez because they're just matchup nightmares for the Nets. That played out to be true. And then they were stacking up the offensive rebounds and the second chance points. Everything in that first quarter happened the way that Bucks fans would have hoped that it would happen. And James Harden left. Like everything went well in the first quarter. And, and it wasn't necessarily unexpected. All of the things that we hoped for with the Bucks turned out to be true. But after the second quarter, everything went in the tank because they stopped smashing. They stopped playing physical in the paint, mostly because Giannis and Brooke barely played. Giannis played eight minutes in the second quarter. Brooke played four. And if you're thinking, Grant, that means nothing to me. Give me something else to chew on. Well, for reference, Jeff Teague played three and a half minutes. So almost the same amount of time as Brooke Lopez, who might be the most important player on the team who's not Giannis. And Pat Connaughton played four minutes. Whoa, 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 whoa. Why are we giving Jeff Teague run at all, except for maybe some moments here and there where Dante DiVincenzo would have filled in the cracks? Why is Pat Connaughton playing four minutes? Why is Giannis only playing eight? What is go- what is going on? Everything that went so well in the first quarter was then negated in the second quarter because Giannis and Brooke were headed to the bench, headed to the bench together for big stretches. They weren't staggering those minutes. So at times the Bucks were without a big body on the floor, which is okay defensively. 
even though Giannis is a really important defensive piece, like the, the Nets can expose bigger bodies defensively. But offensively, that was your bread and butter in the first quarter. You completely go away from it. And to compound that issue, they start jacking a bunch of transition threes early in the shot clock, three-point shots. I'm like, no, 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 no. This isn't what we want, number one, because they're not hitting them. By the way, if you break down the shooting percentages for the Bucks, they shoot best. Their highest percentage from three is with seven seconds to zero seconds remaining on the shot clock. Their worst window of time is from 15 to 24 seconds remaining. So like early shot clock threes, transition threes, the Bucks aren't hitting them. And in this series, those threes are even worse because you're completely taking away your chance to go get offensive rebounds, which is a weakness of this Nets team. It's one of the Bucks' biggest advantages. It's able to create second and third chance shot opportunities, something they did in the first quarter, something they didn't do in the second quarter for a multitude of reasons. The minute disparity with Giannis and Brooke was bad, but also just schematically, just, just method, methodologically, whatever they were trying to do, shoot transition threes, why, why, why are we doing that? That takes away one of our biggest strengths. And then the defense falls apart too. They start double-teaming Blake Griffin behind the three-point line, which is something only Jason Kidd would call for because, oh, we got to be aggressive or something. I don't know. But has got to get a handle on that. Nobody who I read yesterday or listened to or read today really understood what Coach Bud was doing rotation-wise. He has his own thing with Giannis. Giannis plays 35, 37 minutes. That's it. I don't want to wear him out. want to keep him fresh. Okay. I don't necessarily agree with it. I don't love it. But I, I can see where he's coming from. Okay. I don't love it, but I can see where he's coming from. He's playing the long game. Okay. 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 But the way he handled that second quarter, why are we running Jeff Teague out there for three and a half minutes? Jeff Teague played seven minutes in the fourth quarter. What? What? He, he didn't even play in the Miami series. And the Bucks ran away with all of those games. Jeff Teague was the one player that Coach Bud seemingly was intent on stashing on the bench. He's like, see, guys, I'm not even playing Jeff Teague, who's my guy. I've changed. I'm a different Coach Bud. And then we get the Nets, the Brooklyn Nets in the second round, and now it's Jeff Teague time? Where did that come from? Why is he playing seven minutes in the fourth quarter? Why is he taking away from Giannis and Brooke in the second quarter when Harden is out and this team is there to be had? You can make a run. You can start stacking up points and getting rebounds and playing physical with the team that really can't handle the physicality. And Coach Bud isn't staggering Brook and Giannis. It's just the way that Coach Bud coached on Saturday, to me, shows a lack of understanding of how this matchup works. And if you listen to the talking heads on ESPN or FS1, nobody really knows how to break down these series on a granular level. So what do people always say? Well, style makes fights in boxing and Matchups make series in the NBA. This is the biggest cliche. It's all about the matchup. It's about the style, like in boxing. Well, any idiot can look at Brooklyn and think, well, they're not very big and they're not very strong. So Brook Lopez, huge opportunity. Giannis, huge opportunity. That's where the Bucks can make some hay. And Coach Bud seemed intent on keeping those guys on the bench at the same time. No, you have to stagger them. At least Brook or Giannis needs to be out there at all times. It's like, to me, Coach Bud not staggering those two players shows that he doesn't really understand how this matchup works. He doesn't understand how to attack the Nets. Shouldn't be shooting transition threes unless it's Bryn Forbes, who is red hot, which on Saturday he wasn't. No reason for Giannis three-pointers, especially at the beginning of the shot clock. No reason for transition threes. And no reason for Jeff, Jeff Teague to be playing as much as he was. Shows a lack of understanding. That's what's frustrating. And I hope that we see the picture become a little bit more clear for Bud and the Bucks make a couple of changes and, and kind of cinch things a little bit tighter tonight in game two. 
Let's take a break. I want to get into a controversial topic. I, I started a little bit of a disagreement on Twitter today. Um, I was trying to figure out whether or not we want to declare this game a must-win. Some of you are very jaded to that idea because of the results in games that we've declared must-wins in the past. I think we are winless. I think we're 0-4 in games that we've declared a must-win on the Wisco Sports Show. So we're going to tread lightly. I want to talk about this idea of whether tonight is a must-win or not for the Bucks. You'd like to steal one game on the road. I think you really need to steal one game on the road, but I'm going to say that without declaring it a must-win. Don't worry, I'm not going to jinx it. That's coming up next. More of the Wisco Sports Show after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. My name Grant Bills. The talk and text line 608-796-2558. I apologize. I've been uh, neglecting some of these texts. JB and Eau Claire. JB, nice to hear from you. Thoughts on Stearns. Stearns seems to be the guy who trades look like garbage and turn to gold. Uh, regarding acquisitions, he did trade for or draft Woodruff, Burns, Peralta, or were they in the system prior to Stearns? Ah, uh, <laughs> you know what? I don't know. I'll ask that to David Gasper tomorrow. We can talk about these three pitchers. Peralta was a part of the Adam Lind deal, wasn't he? The Brewers drafted Corbin Burns. I don't know in what year, and I'm not sure where Brandon Woodruff came from. Brett says, let's not talk about game one. Let's look forward to tonight. Well, here's the thing, Brett. We need to look at game one to preview and talk about what they need to do differently in game two. I'm not dwelling on it. Do I sound upset? I'm sorry. If I sound upset, I need a tone change. I'm not upset. I'm having a wonderful day. Tony and Sparta, Grant, you need to bring your fly rod to Evan Bosard Park. Sorry if I mispronounced that. Perfect spot to fly fish. Oh, and it's well stocked. Okay, I'm there. I want to do some disc golfing soon anyways at Justin Trails, so I need to get over to Sparta. Mike and Madison leads us beautifully into our next topic, and he says it is definitely, positively, a must win. Got to have it tonight, he says. Signs it, Mike. Mike, appreciate your text. And uh, Mike, with a, a good bit of foreshadowing of what we're about to talk about, I tweeted this morning regarding the Bucks. You can follow me and find my tweets at Wisco Grant. I tweeted, seeing a lot of people declaring tonight's Bucks game a must win. Not me. No, 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 no. Don't put that on me. A lot of other people. Tonight's a must win. You got to have this one if you're the Bucks. That's my Jim Paschke, I guess. Yeah, the Bucks got to win tonight. A must win game, Marcus. Tonight's a must-win game, which in sports, you don't really need to understand. Must-win, you just get it. it just, you just hear that, and you know what it means. You got to have it. It's a must-win. And one of my favorite things to do on this show is take random games and just decide that they're must-wins. Like, oh, this Brewers regular season game, it's a must-win. Got to have it. The last time we declared a game, a must-win was May 14th. It was a Brewers game against the Royals. And I'm going to pull up the schedule now for a uh, little bit of context as to maybe why we said such a thing on this show. And when I say we, uh, I mean me. Uh, let's see. The game would have been Wednesday, May 19th against Kansas City. They had lost, let's see, four of five, five of six. And they were going into another game with Corbin Burns on the mound against the Royals. And I said, you got to have this tonight. You need to win tonight. You got to win tonight, Wednesday, May 19th. Then you go into a weekend series against Cincinnati and, you know, on and on we we go. It's a must-win game. You got to win this one. And they lost. 
And I remember we declared a must win for the Wisconsin Badgers in basketball a couple of months ago. I think it was the game against Illinois where Dusumu was out and the Badgers needed to have that signature win and they just hadn't had one yet. And I said, this is your best chance. You got Illinois at home, no Io Dusumu. You got a week to prepare. Now is the time. It's a must win. And then they, and then they ended up losing. So in, uh, in games that we've declared a must win, our teams are 0-4. So I'm not going to technically officially declare tonight's game a must win, although Mike and Madison has done so on the talk and text line. I, I, I'm i not going to declare it. There will be no declaration. But I will say this. If the Bucks want to win the series, it would be who of them to win tonight. This is a game that they, I'm not going to say must win. This is a game that they really need to win if they want to win the series. Now, they could go on to lose tonight and go on to win the series. In fact, that's what happened with the Clippers. The Clippers lost the first two games at home and then went on to win in in seven. Uh, That was yesterday. That game was yesterday afternoon against the Mavericks. Took out Luka, and finally the home team won a game in the seventh game of the first-round series. The Bucs could lose tonight and still win the series. However, it would be quite the uphill climb, be quite the long shot. Here's the thing. The Bucs win tonight. And everything that we were frustrated about in game one, everything that people ripped Coach Bud for, and the, the slander that Chris Middleton took, forget it all. All goes away. Because at the end of the day, as Giannis would say, the Bucks played two games in Brooklyn against a team that's better than they are, and they split them. They won one, they lost one, and now they're headed back to Milwaukee with a chance to take hold of the series. Narratives switch on a dime. The snap of a finger, narratives switch. So I don't, want to, I don't want to look at this game in the context of what will happen if they lose, which I, which I think is what we've done in the past with must-win games. We've said, hey, they need to win this game or else. If they don't win tonight, <laughs> who knows? Who knows how bad it'll get? That's what we've done in the past. And I don't want to do that tonight. Mostly this is just, this is a risky game to go declaring must-wins because we have such a poor track record. I don't want to throw any more bad uh, omens and bad luck the Bucks way. They, they don't need me dragging them down like that. So I'm not going to declare this a must win, but instead of looking at the alternative, what it would mean if the Bucks lose, I want to present to you the case of what would happen if the Bucks win. Let's say the Bucks go out and win tonight the same way that the Nets won game one. So it's not a blowout, and it's not a buzz, buzzer beater final possession win. They win 115-107, and Giannis plays great, and Chris Middleton bounces back, and the Bucks don't even shoot the lights out from three. They simply have an average night. If that happens, what are we saying tomorrow? More importantly, what is the national media saying tomorrow? Right? Bucks have control of the series. The Bucks have taken control. In fact, I mean, the series doesn't start until the home team loses a game. So technically, this series hasn't even started yet. The series could start tonight. I'm not saying that it's doom and gloom and the end of the world and the Bucks are eliminated if they lose tonight. Now, you might choose to think that. I'm not going there until it actually happens. We can readdress what it means for the Bucs if they lose, and I think that'll matter a lot how they lose. Instead, I want to come at it from the positive side and consider what would happen if the Bucs win. What is to be gained rather than to be lost in tonight's contest? The narrative would completely flip. You'd have people saying like, well, see, this is why they got James Harden, right? And then people would say, well, I knew the Bucs wouldn't shoot that bad again. And I knew Blake Griffin wouldn't hit four of nine three-pointers again. And I think people would start to believe that's the real Bucks team. The Bucks team that won in game two rather than the Bucks team that lost in game one. Do you get what I'm saying? The Bucks win tonight. 
And this narrative completely switches on his head. And this is a, a great spot to take a break. Why? Because coming up next, I want to talk about narratives in a seven-game series and how they switch on a dime. And I have examples. Oh, boy, do I have examples from the last two weeks alone. They're great examples, and I can't wait to share them with you. Bucks, Nets, game two. The narrative is on the line. And I'll explain that next on the Wisco Sports Show. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Wisco Sports Show. Breaking news. Oh, breakneck news. Earth-shattering news. Adam Schefter on Twitter tweeting out, Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers is not expected to attend Green Bay's mandatory minicamp that starts Tuesday, per sources. Green Bay could opt to fine him $93,000 for his absences or could make it an excused absence and waive the fine. But Rodgers is not expected there. I saw tweets today. Bill Michaels had the scoop hours ago. Please credit Adam. Please credit my coworker Bill for beating you to that report. Tough look. Bill probably tweeted it out from his tiki bar, too. Adam's probably down in his little cave with all his computers and his sources, and Bill's just smoking a cigar at the tiki bar on a commercial break, just getting scoops. Tough look for Shefty. Tough look. Please credit. What a snake. An accumulation of information. Also, on the actual Aaron Rodgers topic, I don't care. I I, I don't care. I, I don't. Like, if he comes tomorrow, cool. If not, I don't care. The Brewers have won 9 of 10, and the Bucks are playing the Nets tonight, okay? I got bigger, more important things to worry about as to whether or not Aaron Rodgers has had enough quality time with his fiance yet, or if he finally had time to visit all of the different islands on Hawaii with all the different members of the cast of Divergent. I don't care. I don't. I'd rather talk about other things, and that's what we're going to do. I want to talk about the NBA and the Bucks and the Nets. And we just had a conversation about not what's on the line if the Bucks lose— no, we're not going to think that way. We're not going to put that energy out into the universe. I want to talk about what's on the line if the Bucks win. Consider if the Bucks win tonight. And consider that it's not a huge blowout and it's not a buzzer beater. It's just a, a nice solid win. Seven points. Seven, eight points. What are we going to say tomorrow? What's the national media going to say tomorrow? Well, we got a live series. Bucks stole one on the road. Now we're going back to Milwaukee all tied up. Ooh, those Bucks fans are going to be charged up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, Bucks have the inside track of the series. They do need James Harden. We were all wrong. There's a reason they traded for James Harden. Oh, and and Steve Nash played the Nets too many minutes. Game one, they were tired. Kyrie and Katie both had to play almost 45 minutes. Too much. It's too much. So if the Bucks win tonight, the narrative completely flips, completely and 100%. Because that's what narratives do in seven game series. Consider we haven't had a normal NBA playoffs in two years. Last year we were in the bubble, and it wasn't the same. I'm glad we had the bubble. It was necessary. Necessary. We needed to conclude the se- uh, the season. We needed to crown a championship. And props to the Lakers. No asterisk at all. But it wasn't the same. Right? 2021 has been amazing because it's been a return to normalcy for the NBA playoffs. The schedule. The home and away. Right? Time for these narratives to really just run wild. Just get nuts. couple of days in between games for us to just lose our mind. And I don't know if it's because I'm two years older than I was in 2019, the last time we had a normal playoffs. Maybe I'm older, wiser. But I've noticed something. We're all kind of idiots. All of us. We're just idiots. Myself, maybe most of all. 
because we are not mentally capable of handling a seven-game series and, and doing so with reason and rationality. It's not what we do. We watch one game, and we treat it like it's the end-all, be-all, and we talk about it nonstop for two days, and we blow everything up out of proportion and make mountains out of molehills, and then we watch another game, and we completely switch our minds. We completely change our opinion on everything because we have one more game. I listen to a lot of shows this morning. I listen to a lot of shows every day because I wake up, and I'm going to listen to a bunch of shows. What are people saying? What's the scuttlebutt, right? And this morning, everyone is furious at Coach Bud. Like, like, angry, super angry, because Giannis didn't play enough, and what was that second quarter, why are Brooke and Giannis on the bench at the same time, you're jacking transition threes, and why is Jeff Teague playing so much, I paraphrase, that's what smart radio hosts would have said, that's what I said, everybody's angry at Coach Bud for one reason or another, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm not thrilled with him today, but I'm trying to be a bit more measured, because I know how this goes, it might have taken me a few weeks into the NBA playoffs, but I figured it out, right, in all of these series, we get to a game five, and I always end up thinking, uh, wait, what it that's right. We did think that after the first game. We were yelling about that after the first game. Oh, that's right. There were people that said you'd rather have Goran Dragic over Chris Middleton. That happened. That's right. We did do that for a day or two. I yeah, I remember that now. The the, the roller coaster that we let our mind ride in between NBA playoff games, and I would imagine playoff hockey, the seven game series, it's nuts. It's nuts. It's not healthy, honestly. But when we talk about sports for multiple hours a day and we do podcasts, we do blogging, we got to keep the presses going. Lakers Suns is a perfect example of this, of a narrative roller coaster that just, it won't quit. It won't stop. During that series, I started a little journal of what we thought game by game, because especially with LeBron involved, people just losing their mind every couple of nights. And I started writing it down. So I'm like, this is really interesting. And I went back to it today but almost a week later, and I'm like, this is this is just, this belongs in a museum. So game one, th- think back to Lakers' Suns. The Suns win game one, right? And, and everyone's freaking out. Holy balls. Suns are they're the real deal. Monty Williams has got this squad cooking. LeBron's in trouble. Okay, he's washed. And Anthony Davis got babied by DeAndre Ayton for four straight quarters. Lakers are done. Done. Series is over. And then two days later, they play game two. Oh, the Suns can't close. They can't They can't close. Chris Paul, they need Chris Paul out there. And the path, the path is clear for L.A. I mean, holy smokes. I mean, they're the, they'll walk through the West if they can just get by Phoenix. And the odds shift big time as the Lakers win game two. And then in game three, the Lakers win. Now it's really over. The Suns aren't ready for the moment yet. Booker isn't quite good enough to carry a team without Chris Paul. And, and they can't win in L.A. And, and they're done. Stick a fork in the Suns. We're done. We're moving on. And then the Suns win game four in L.A. And and now we're all like, well, wait a minute. Now the series is tied. It's a best two out of three with two of the games in Phoenix. And Anthony Davis is hurt. Wait a minute. Do the Suns have the, the, Suns have the inside track at this series? Not the Lakers. The, La- the Lakers are going to get eliminated. Holy cow. Look at that. What a, what a roller coaster we've been on. And then the Suns win game five without Anthony Davis, who plays like 60 seconds or whatever. He gets hurt right away. And then the narrative becomes, well, the Lakers are garbage outside of LeBron. Nobody's any good on this team. And since then, I've listened to podcasts and shows. People are reflecting on the Lakers season, and it's like a lot of doom and gloom. You know, a lot of takes like this. You, you hear these all the time. You know, I hate to be this guy, but I just, uh, I'll do it in my Ryan Rosillo voice for the sake of a podcast here. You know, I, uh, I hate to be this guy, but I just... I don't see a way that this roster gets 
significantly better in this offseason. It's just one of these things. I'm looking around. I'm thinking, ah. Taylor Horton Tucker, not really an asset you can move. And there aren't any picks. And who really wants Kyle Kuzma anyways? I just, I don't see the way the Lakers get better. Where do they go from here? You start to wonder how much LeBron has left in the tank. And, you know, Anthony Davis, it's like, geez, he's really piling up this long list of injuries. Right? That Thank you. That was my Ryan Russillo. The season in review vibe. We're burying the Lakers. It's less than two weeks after they win a huge game two, and we think that they're going to win the title. And the odds shift huge. Lakers are huge title favorites in the West after game two. Tomorrow will be two weeks from the day. So you get my point. This up and down, this roller coaster after every game, we lose our minds, and no one stops to think for a moment and say, you know what? Actually, in two days, we could feel the complete opposite of this. So I'm not losing my mind over game one with the Bucks and the Nets. Now, if they lose tonight, we'll have a different conversation. But the game tonight hasn't been played yet. Yeah, Coach Bud didn't have a great game one. And Chris Middleton certainly didn't. They didn't have a great shooting game. But if they're able to just progress to the mean slightly, Coach Bud makes minimal adjustments and they win tonight, well, the narrative completely changes. Because now they've split. They've won one of those two necessary games in Brooklyn. The series has started because the home team lost a game. And now we're headed back to Milwaukee. Right? It's amazing how these narratives can flip. Clippers Mavericks went seven games, and people didn't know how to handle it. Every game, people blowing their minds. Mavericks go up 2-0, and don't get me wrong, I didn't expect the Clippers to come back and win, but it by no means was over. Right? It's two games, and they were both on the road. Like, uh, props to the Clippers. They made it happen. And then after game one, I went back and found some examples of game two of the Clippers going up or going down 2-0. I found this clip of uh, Chris Broussard. Get a kick of this. This is after the Mavericks, who were just eliminated, went up 2-0. Uh, Brandon's Clippers are done. Finished. Toast. It's over. Do I, do I need to go Kenny Smith on them? This is over, yeah. okay? And here's why. Dallas is just better. The evidence is overwhelming. I know on paper the Clippers look better, but when they get on the court and face each other, sometimes matchups make, you know, games as well as they make fights. Oh, there it is. They're just better. <laughs> uh, look, they've played yes. five games this year. <laughs> the, the Mavericks have won four of them. Oh, my God. I, I forgot that was in there. I mentioned that earlier on in the show. This is always what the talking heads say. Well, style makes a fight, and... A matchup makes a playoff series. And that's I'm pretty sure that's what Paul Pierce said about the Bucks and the Celtics two years ago. And I have that sound. I'll play that in a minute. Right? Two games. Chris Broussard's like, the Clippers are done. And by that, he means, oh, they moved on to the second round. Right? It's, it's fun to overreact. But it's certainly not productive. And we're wrong about a lot of things when we do that. The Hawks handled the Sixers yesterday in game one. Surprised that got to me, especially with how much Embiid played. Embiid played almost all the minutes, and he was brilliant, and they still lost. I wouldn't have bet on that. I, absolutely not. And the Hawks, it's not like they smashed the Sixers, but that's a game that made everyone take notice. The Sixers could blow out the Hawks in game two. They're still five-point favorites, and then they completely go on to win the series, and the narrative flips 100%. That could happen, sure. So I'm not going to freak out and say that the Hawks are the new favorites in the East and the Sixers are turds. I'm not going to say that. When the Bucks were up 2-0 on the Raptors, we saw that turned out. And then they were down 0-2 to Miami, we saw that turned out. Like, th these series can go in a lot of different directions. And, it's, and anything is on the table. Really, other than a 3-1 comeback by LeBron in the finals, we've seen every series total turn out a million different ways. 
Maybe they go six. Maybe they go seven. Right? Team gets up 2-0, and then the other team wins four in a row, like Toronto did with Kawhi. Like, it, there's a million possibilities for how these series can play out. And I'm not drawing conclusions. I was listening to the Bill Simmons podcast earlier today with Ryan Rosillo because I thought they were going to have a good breakdown on what the Bucks could do better. And instead, they mostly just talked about Blake Griffin, who I, I could be wrong. I think by the end of this series, I don't know if we're going to be talking about Blake Griffin a lot. I think game one was the Blake Griffin game. And I think we move on to bigger and better conversations. I could be wrong because I'm sure there were people who thought that about Fred Van Vliet in 2019. And he ended up defining that series. So I'm not going to count Blake out. I, I thought the point is I was listening to this podcast. And they're, they're talking about how, well, I just, I don't really like the Bucks' chances after game one. I like, I think that's a game you needed to have. It's like, well, there's seven of them. Have we not seen enough of these? And I would still bet money on the Nets to win this series. I'm not saying that the Bucks are about to win four in a row and advance the Eastern Conference Finals. I'm just saying, let's, let's slow our roll, which is why I've had more of a optimistic vibe today. A hopeful vibe. And I've complained about things that Coach Bud needs to do better because they were so glaring and they make for interesting conversation, but I... Very well within his reach. This is very well within the Bucks' reach. And if we start overreacting, if we start freaking out, like here, here's how I'll wrap up this little conversation. Our reaction should always be proportional to the amount of data and experience we have. If we've watched a team play 20 games, we can draw some conclusions. If we've watched one, we really can't know anything. And if we try to know anything, we end up saying stuff like this. As a team, I don't... I don't... I don't know where Milwaukee goes from here. Because what are you I, whoa, 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 whoa. So listen. is this over? No, listen. I think it's over. This series is over. Yeah, they One lost. One game? You just sat there and said that they could win an NBA championship. Yeah, I did say that. But, but One game. I think styles make fights in boxing. There it boxing. is. We had a style of change before the series started. Yeah, but it just seemed like Milwaukee was the way better team throughout the regular season. But when I watch this, when I watch this today, if Giannis doesn't have a monster game, and somebody else besides him doesn't step up, Boston is just going to out-talent them. Imagine that being your take, by the way. Well, if the best player doesn't play good, and then the second-best player doesn't play good, too, like, the team will probably lose. Thanks, Paul. I never like Paul Pierce. And Michelle Beadle's guilty. Whoa, 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 Paul, are you saying it's over? Just tell him to pound sand. He's probably hammered anyways. Let's take a break. Wrap up this conversation about the Bucks, And then one small side note on the Brewers, because it's something I wanted to get to earlier, and we just... We ran out of time. More of the Wisco Sports Show. We'll wrap it up after this. This is the Wisco Sports Show with Grant Bills on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network.